Hi everyone, I'm Summer. I'm Carrie. And this is Popsia Podcast. I'm nervous. How <laughs> to be nervous be fun. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> oh my god! What the hell just happened? <laughs> what the hell? What is happening? <laughs> um, make sure you come back. We're gonna do this bi-weekly. So make sure you come back to talk to, to us more about you know, sex, drugs, and self-improvement. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody. <laughs> uh, we've been having technical difficulties for the last 27 minutes, but we survived. Always. <laughs> we are survivors. <laughs> Yes. And speaking of surviving, so the topic today, <laughs> so we had talked uh, in a previous episode about how someone had, one of the listeners had recommended that we read adult children of em- emotionally immature parents. Thank you. <laughs> and the oh, author, okay. the name of the author escapes me, but I will put that in I will put that in the, um, in the fucking hell. I can't even talk now. I'll put that in the description box. Oh my Lord. Okay. So since I cannot talk right now, so Carrie, so we both, we both, uh, read it. I'm not, I, read it, I totally mean listening to it, uh, because it was, uh, audiobook. But so what did you learn, Carrie? I'm not completely finished with it yet. I think I still have two chapters left um okay so you've but that you've gotten the bulk of it it. the last yeah the last two chapters are really about figuring out how to set set boundaries with them if you choose to keep them in your life so you've got the overview of what's the behaviors and the types of people yeah um i've learned a lot about myself (laughs) and like all people around me like more than i probably ever wanted to know um, but it is nice to finally understand why people function the way that they do and like the reasons why. Um, it's been, it's been a lot. I've told, um, pretty much everybody in my life to go read that book or listen to the Same. book. Cause I think it would help everybody. Um, especially right. Cause it talks like, about parents. Right. I mean, it talks about parents, but really, once you see the behaviors, it can really help be applied in a lot of different areas because 100%. we all have these people in different in different facets of our life. Hundred percent. Like I work at a psych hospital, and I can see everything they talk about in this book, like reflected into all of the patients that I have, mm-hmm. and like. I've only been there, like, a couple hours since I started the book, but, like, even just, like, that small interaction, like, helped change, like, how, or, those small, that small amount of time I was with them helped change, like, the interactions that I had with the kids. Mm-hmm. Man, it helped a bunch. And I was telling somebody about it, and I was, like, trying to explain the book and like the differences between like internalizers and externalizers and the different types of parents out there that the book talks about um and now they're reading the book 
I've gotten, I think, four people to order the book since I read it. I tweeted about it, too, and I've seen at least two, I think, two or three of my followers have now also <laughs> made posts recommending it. So I'm like, oh, it's spreading. <laughs> and me and my roommate listened to the first chapter with me so that she would read the book, too. And now she, like, the whole entire time, like, she was working on stuff and she would hear something and go, man... Right? Oh my god, like everything. <laughs> right. Like I wish I had had this book 20 years ago because there was a lot of this that I a lot of it wasn't new to me because I had pieced it together, but it literally took me like years of mm -hmm. academic study and research to get there. But I still had gaps in that that the that the book did help fill in, which was great. But yeah, if I'd had this sort of comprehensive explanation. 20 years ago my relationship with my parents would have been a lot different because she's right in there where she talks about like the how there's a tendency to think that there is a whole person inside there mm -hmm. that you can reason with and that if you can just reach them then they will behave differently and it took me a long time to understand that that's not the case and that I had to just understand this is who they are and I have to meet them there. Yeah. I like listening to her talk about like the different kinds of parents. Like I think that she said there was like four. I think four primary types, yes. Um, and I can see all four of those types and like my mom and my grandparents and like everybody that had a hand in raising me like I same um and those same people. each of my parents was a type and the two grandparents who helped raise me so we had all four covered same my mom it, it's hard to like pinpoint like the specific types like as like a whole person because like specifically like with my mom I think she takes on characteristics of like all of them at different mm -hmm. points and like different parts of her life with me she mm -hmm. took on different parts um and it really helped me understand because like i've known like my whole life that she's always treated me as more of a friend instead of a child and mm -hmm. it made so much sense like, right why after hearing them talk about that in the book uh and i felt so validated <laughs> and so like less I don't even know like what the right word would be like I, it was so nice <laughs> right it's nice to be seen and also it connects those dots so it's a lot easier when you have an understanding of where those behaviors come from and things like that then you don't internalize it and like oh there's something wrong with me or have that emotional reaction it's a lot easier to just approach it objectively and figure yeah. out especially for people that you are going to keep in your life to figure out how to navigate that instead of just like, why are they like this? Because, you know, <laughs> we have those moments a lot. Like, what the fuck? Yeah. You know? and, yeah. And once you realize that, you just can't change them. <laughs> it yeah. actually gets a lot easier because you can work, you know, actually deal with what you're working with. Yeah. I, I think it's going to help me, like, a lot. Because even though, like, I can tell people how to set their boundaries, like, all day long. And, like, rationalize it and think logically about it. And I understand it. But putting it into practice is so difficult for me sometimes. And I think um, having this book 
and listening to it and being able to talk about it with you and like some of our other friends like I think it's gonna really help me like set those boundaries in stone so that I don't yes I'm also going to be following up with um Dr. Faith's book unfuck your boundaries again I'm going to read that again to (laughs) try to I need to find my copy now this 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 helps you know (laughs) helps drive home the need for the boundaries and then I'm going to have the the guide for uh actually setting the boundaries because I'm still I still struggle with um yeah keeping those boundaries right because I always I guess that role that I played was always like taking care of people and I over empathize and I do sometimes allow my my boundaries to be pushed back when I shouldn't same right and so it's like and then and sometimes it can happen multiple times before I realize wait a second you are allowing yourself to be um, mistreated here and you shouldn't do that. So I'm getting better, but yeah. (laughs) When you grow up without being allowed boundaries, it's really hard to learn to set them as an adult because it doesn't come naturally. It's like an entirely intellectual process. It's so difficult. I think especially like growing up in like an evangelical household, where like you are not allowed to have boundaries like usually like I know in my house like we weren't allowed to have boundaries like we weren't allowed to like have secrets or have things of our own like we had to tell everybody everything all the time Mm -hmm. especially like our church leaders like there was no boundaries there (laughs) I put I actually have I, I have notes that's why I'm looking over here off the screen and that's one thing I'm I I have a note about is the um is growing up in evangelicalism or any any really any repressive religious um institution because um yeah a lot of these things like the things like um thinking they know what's right for other people resenting people that um think differently which are actually things I never connected these are a couple of the things that she filled in. Like I had never connected that those things like keeping things surface level and relating to people only as roles and not through connection. Um, the black you and white thinking. The... What was the last thing you heard? I can hear everything you're saying. It's just the screen okay. freezing. Oh, sorry. Sorry, y'all. <laughs> um, so like, you know, the seeing things in black and white ways. I like, I never connected that to the emotion the stunted emotional growth um but yeah that is something those things are things that are found in those religious institutions in evangelicalism so it not only so it's like a, a it's a dynamic cycle right like it creates us it creates emotionally stunted people but then it also provides shelter for a and excuses for people who come in with these harmful behaviors. And so then that becomes, <laughs> um, okay, so what I said, so this sort of harmful religious environment helps create emotionally immature people and also is appealing for those who are already emotionally stunted because it creates shelter and justification for their behaviors. And so it just 
keeps continuing that cycle which continues to harm people always like the black and white thinking and like mm-hmm. all of that like I see it so much in like the kids that I work with and most of the kids that I work with are going to be emotionally stunted right. if they can't make it through this process and so understanding like where they're at I think like me telling people and me being there with them and knowing like the kind of direction that they need to go in to get Mm -hmm. better I think will help so much because like if somebody had done that for me as a kid I think I probably would be a little bit more different instead of stuck in the constant cycle of being in the helper role (laughs) like because you're working on it you you will get there (laughs) you will get there you will I promise it is just so very um like childlike like she says in the book like it is very childlike to have that strict black and white thinking and I never noticed it or thought about it either until reading this book like how mm-hmm. emotionally stunted like religion is like everything is black and white like this is bad that's good there's no in between there's no middle ground right those role-based religions that are yeah, absolutely. Particularly the ones who think that the uh, the the ones who think their way is the right way. Yeah, it's my the way. right way. That's what I, what I was hearing her talk about the um, the seeing things and it, the thinking they know what's right for everyone mm-hmm. was like that. Okay, so that's like um, a hallmark of American Christianity. <laughs> yeah. um, well, I mean, American Christianity for the most part is evangelicalism. Yeah. And, I mean, Catholicism's separate, but they also think they know what's best for everybody, so they don't get a pass on this either. Um, we will we will eventually do a, an episode about our deconstruction, but we ain't ready for that yet. <laughs> Y'all, sorry. Um, I've been, like, I've been trying to take notes for it, like, because I know we've talked about it, and it's just, like, so massive. I'm like, oh, how do we even do this? It's just such a, it's been such a long journey, and I don't even know. Like, we just have to, like, break it down to certain topics and shit. Like, I do, I do want to do an episode of Rail Against Purity Culture because it is fucked up. I do. Well, yeah, we need I to do that. Conferences that I've been to, man. They had true love weights. Yes. At our fucking school. Like, that's not goddamn coercive. Like, they would not let you leave until you signed the little fucking Mm -hmm. pledge. I signed that thing knowing full well I was not going to quit having sex. And I'm like, literally, so that literally, I I am not opposition defiant, I promise. But in, yes, I, (laughs) it's not this order. I'm not. (laughs) <laughs> I'm, I'm not that far along but I do have a, a bit of like don't tell me what to do especially when it's not for a good reason because like the first thing I thought when I left and I actually had this conversation with one of my friends after I signed that thing they're like you so are you really going are, are you really going to abide with that I'm like hell no I'm gonna go get laid this weekend now <laughs> didn't plan on it before but if this is what I just had to set through an hour of being shamed or doing something completely normal completely biologically normal i you know my sexual partners in high school were peers it wasn't like it was predatory you know situations where they were adults so it was actually completely you know developmentally normal right so no we should not have had to sit there through an hour's worth of shaming 
let alone the fact that your fucking religion shouldn't be in my public school. Yeah. But yes, we will have a, we will have a whole rant about that at some point. <laughs> I will. I, I can't get off my soapbox on that once I get started. Like it's just so damaging and so harmful, really- and the fact that people defend this bullshit. Like, why do you not care about the harm you are causing? Why? It fucked me up for years. Like, so, like, like, how old are you now? I'm 27 now. And I think the first purity conference that I ever went to, I think I was 11. And they made us sign the papers and they gave everybody purity rings. Oh, the rings, (laughs) the fucking rings. And I, like, it it fucked me up for a long time. Oh, our speaker even had the whole. It was the whole. You wait until you, you don't. You're not supposed to have sex till marriage. And like, the, I still vividly remember her talking about how do you know? She's like, I I don't mean you're in in a committed relationship. I don't mean you're engaged. You know how you know? You walk up the aisle. You say your vows. You sign that paper, and then you're married. Then you can have sex. And I'm like. Even the idea yeah. of connecting sex and marriage is fucked up, and that's about to be our and that's going to be our next episode. Stay tuned for that in a couple weeks, um, because it's yeah. not nearly the same thing. They shouldn't be connected at all, but it creates these whole harmful shaming narratives in kids' heads, like as if adolescence isn't hard enough. Yeah, we've got to get be fill in their head with this ridiculously harmful shaming ideas and in the book there is a parenting type that does that like they're constantly shaming their kids and constantly Mm -hmm. telling them like what you're doing is wrong with the way i'm doing is right and and nothing's ever good enough nothing remember i remember crying many many times as a child saying like nothing i do is good enough i i did exactly what they wanted and even more than that and it's still not good enough and i could not understand like what is wrong with me because when you're a kid that's what you do you think it's you i like my grandparents raised me for like like the majority of my life after like nine Mm -hmm. um and they did this weird thing which is why it's hard for me to like pinpoint like the parenting type they raised my mom and her two sisters before me and there's 10 years between me and my mom's youngest sister okay Uh, they did this weird thing where they put me up on like a pedestal saying you're so much easier than all of them you're like you were the chosen child i was the chosen child but still when i would mess up it all just came crashing down in like that moment like when I got my first tattoo, I was 18, like, I paid for it, I worked for it, I did everything. My grandparents didn't talk to me for six weeks. That makes it make so much sense on why they overreact, even when you do things that disappoint them, even if they're not bad or or, or harmful things, mm-hmm. even now, because you are stepping outside that role that yeah. they created for you in their head. Because I was actually, I went down a rabbit hole today about this, and about, like, um what is it called family structure theory or whatever anyhow that's basically the idea is that uh these in dysfunctional families everybody has a role and if you step outside that role they try to force you back in it because it makes them feel that anxiety um 
because of the emotional immaturity, like they can't handle that, which actually helped me understand like when, when I started understanding this stuff and relating to my parents differently and stopped trying to get, you know, and started having a more realistic relationship with them that didn't create that conflict because I was the problem child. And I quote that because that's literally what my mother wrote about me in a letter to someone that I found as a child. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that was the phrase. I have never forgotten this because I literally, normally when I find, found things that I knew I wasn't necessarily supposed to have, um, I wouldn't say word because like, you know, you could get some sort of really terrible reaction. But I was so appalled by it that I actually, because it had like fallen out of a book or something. It was, so it was laying in the floor. And I was so appalled by it that I went, I took it to her and asked her about it. I'm like, your problem child? I'm the one who's like taking care of everything. Um, but when I stopped engaging in the conflicts with them, then like, it escalated them in some ways. And then suddenly my mother's like everything, which actually makes sense now. Like when, remember me talking about like the two times they did come up to visit me when I lived in the city, like she made it into a drama and there were like different things. Like one time after my, my oldest son moved down here for his last um, year and a half of high school, cause he needed a a small, you know, he needed a smaller school and stuff. Well, he had only been there for a couple of months come tax return time. Right. And she sent me a message asking, can she claim him on her taxes? My answer was, how does that work? Like I didn't, I, I was busy. I couldn't look it up at the moment, but I'm like, I, cause I thought like, which turns out it's true. You have to have supported them for six months mm -hmm. of that calendar year in order to claim them. So I was like, is that even, is that allowed? She blew up. She's like one more, un, uh, what was the phrase she used? It's just one more um, broken promise that you made. I'm like broken promise. We never even talked about this. And I didn't even say yes or no. Like I asked a question. And so it was constantly things like that. And I didn't understand where they were coming from, but it makes sense now because I was not in that role and it's because they relate to roles and not through connection, they didn't know how to deal with that. Yeah, 100%. My mom is not quite like that, but like since she always treated me like a friend instead of a child, mm -hmm. we had to, when I forced her to look at me as, a, as her child, she uh -huh. didn't know how to deal with it. <laughs> it was very Chaotic. I don't know what you do with that. <laughs> like, I like it's so weird like, looking back on things like that now. <laughs> so, you watched Gilmore Girls, right? Mm hmm. I think that those characters are like an amazing illustration of the things in the in this book. I agree. And I, I think we need to go do a dissection of examples on how the characters fit this in order to help people understand. Because even in ways where it doesn't look bad, like like Lorelai and Rory's mm -hmm. relationship looks good, but it's still that unhealthy enmeshment. It's still 
you know, she's using her daughter to fulfill, you know, and she's got all these emotionally immature traits and all of this. And so that leads to all those conflicts and stuff. I think it would be a really great I think that illustration. So great for like a Twitter thread, like live reacting to different episodes and pointing the stuff out or doing like a whole episode. Oh, we should do that. <laughs> Maybe we could break it down because there's so many episodes. There was what, like seven seasons and then the yeah, and then the new one. And then the uh, follow-up. So maybe we yeah. could do, like, one a season at a time. <laughs> Hit the high notes. <laughs> I, I'm so down for that. I think that's I a great idea. It's Lorelai and Rory, and I had no idea why. <laughs> now I know. Because we have similar relationships. Right? And see, I related to Lorelai a lot when I was having my first when I was pregnant with my first child Mm -hmm. and I understand now because I have, I was just starting my healing journey. So I was still very, very emotionally immature and trying to grapple with that and learn and thank fucking God that (laughs) I did because I look at this, I'm like, man, because I look back and I like, I say a lot, like I don't even recognize that person anymore. But yeah, I think about how much different my kids' lives would be and our relationships would be if I hadn't done that work. Yeah. It's so... Therapy is just wonderful. (laughs) It is. And I (laughs) would like to encourage people to, if you have access to therapy, and please don't assume that you don't have access. I understand not every, you know, money is an issue for most of us, but there are also different outlets um, that are making and different organizations that are trying to make it at least marginally accessible you know there are different apps uh that you can utilize there you know if you are in a crisis there are crisis lines there um there are also like i know i've referred people to some of our um, free or low-cost clinics that also do have some mental health services so yes it is limited and it is not perfect but it's still might be better than nothing, especially depending on your situation. So definitely look into it and see what your resources are and and, and what. Don't be afraid to. I, I know a lot of people are just afraid because they've never they've never done it and maybe most of their life if they were raised in situations like us, they might have just heard lots and a barrage of negativity about it. Yeah. 100%. I mean I know in our church, you know if you had mental health issues, you were, it's a sin. Yeah. Literally, right? Like, to being depressed is a sin. You know, if you have mental health issues, oh my God, schizophrenia was a fucking demon bothering you. You know how many churches I've heard that in? Yeah. 100%. You know how many... you mean goddamn exorcisms has been done on people who are mentally ill because they're like they're hearing voices. It has to be the devil. I'm like, like pray it away, poor baby. And right, like pray it away. It doesn't work, and you're just harming people. And they're... I really wish we lived in a country where they would hold these institutions accountable for the harm that they cause to people, but we don't, unfortunately. 
I had a client um, in my social work who she, I, I don't, we, I don't know what her particular condition was because she did not go to her evaluation. So we did not get a good um, diagnosis. Um, she was hearing and seeing someone. Um, but the reason she did not go to her um, evaluation was because her pastor came over and told her he was going to pray with her and it was going to make it all better. And there were demons in her house and he, he was going to pray and cast them out and then she wouldn't have a problem. And I'm like, thank you so much. Because people spent a year convincing this woman to go get the help she needs. And you just undid that. And this is causing her a lot of distress in her life. And I, can, I have nothing positive to say about that. I don't either, because it all goes back once again to like the parenting styles. You can see it in people and see how it all works, how it affects people as they grow up. And shit like that just pisses me off. Like, mm -hmm. religion is fine. Like, believe whatever you want to fucking believe in. I don't care. But if you're harming someone and affecting them in that kind of way, there's nothing good about what you believe in. Like, right. Like Religion is a personal thing. You like, can believe it. You can live your life according to it. But don't project that onto other people. When you're going out trying to recruit people into your religion, when you're using that to prevent people from getting the help they need, all of those things, you are harming. And you need to stop. Yeah. I'm, I have a lot to say about that. Yeah. <laughs> We need to do an episode on that, too. Yes. I, I got some things to say about missionaries. Um, <laughs> but, oh, I had a uh, I had an interview with a journalist the other day, and we ended up on a big old tangent about missionaries. <laughs> so I don't know how that's going to go. So one thing that I did learn when the book, um, not to change the subject, but <laughs> one thing I did learn that I did not, the social contagion, I did not know what the word was for that. Same. I'm so glad to finally have a label for that. Like, um, you know, like the, for those who haven't read the book, go read the book. Um, but, <laughs> but basically the idea is they don't know how to put, they don't know how to communicate uh, or express their emotions, so they act out in ways just to make other people feel what they're feeling. Yeah. Um, and I've talked about that plenty of times, and I know the people who follow me on Twitter have seen me tweet about that um, it, it, several times in the last year, because I've recently come to realize that I was enabling people because right. I cared about them. Um, they would come in, and they would dump their emotions on me, but they never wanted to make active efforts to actually improve their lives or get out of their dysfunctional patterns. Um, you know, I, one of them in particular I can think of right now, I, I convinced her to go I, to therapy because I'm like, you know, this had been years and I'm like, look, this is your pattern. Like you need to like, and you can see that it always result ends badly. So like go to therapy and get this fixed. So she went, she got medication and then she refused to go for the actual therapy to do the work, right? To fix. And so finally, you know, 
so they'd come in and they use me as an outlet to make themselves feel better in the moment, but they're not going to put in the work to actually improve. And, you know, I get upset for them and try to help because I care about them and because I fucking over empathize because I have no boundaries and that's how I was raised. (laughs) Right. And so they get that (laughs) gratification and then they skip on their little merry way. Uh, And it took me a long time because I wasn't taught those healthy boundaries. It took me a long time to recognize that as fucking abusive behavior. When someone is doing that to you, they are mistreating you. It is not acceptable and it is okay. And actually not even okay. It is necessary to put a boundary down for them. Some people will be able to respect that boundary, but the ones you do not, you then part of that boundary may be removing them from your life. Um, I recently had a friend I was talking to about the other day. Um, mm-hmm. Basically the same situation. Um, and we finally like discussed about it. learning to set boundaries on my part. You'll be proud of me. Um, and I talked to her about it and I was like, listen, like I can't deal with this like all the time because you text me at least every other day about this. And you, I always offer you solutions, but you never take them. And then mm-hmm. I feel bad. Right. I can't fix you. <laughs> and she was like, I know, like, I totally understand. Like, it's a problem. And like, I want to work on it. And I was like, I'm happy to like be on this journey with you. But from now on, let's set this boundary of asking me for a solution or telling me you just need me to listen so that I don't have to invest and trying to fix you and trying to do all these things and then you not following through and me feeling bad as a person because I can't fix you. So now we have that boundary. That's a good story. I can listen to you, but I'm not going to invest in it anymore. Do you think that you are going to be able to listen without having the emotional reaction? I think it's going to be hard at first because I am a helper fixer of person. Uh, if you can't tell by my career choices, <laughs> same. It's like we're guilty. <laughs> I like to help people, um, but I think like after reading this book and being friends with you for a long time now, um, and like various other people, I've finally like decided like I have to have these boundaries because they're healthy yeah. for me. Right. Uh, so I think really like this book has taught me like so much. Like, honestly, <laughs> not even finished with it. Like, I am going through it a second time, honestly. Um, just I'm probably here gonna... some of the things that <laughs> I might have missed um, or that I've noticed in the meantime. But yes, we, I, we do recommend this book to people. I um, <laughs> it is yes. so worth it. And I. I think it would be life-changing for a bunch of people. And, like, it's been out for a while. Right. Uh, there is one thing else I also uh, meant to mention. She, I went, I did some looking on the author's website, which is drlindsaygibson.com. That's her name, Lindsay Gibson. <laughs> but anyhow, I'll link that in the description box. But because I was making some notes about, because we have talked about in the previous family episodes about sometimes you have to, end your relationship with your family. Sometimes you can, you have to take a break, but then you can come back with healthy boundaries. And so I was trying to kind of flesh out like, okay, um, some, 
ideas on how to know what's right for you, right? And then wouldn't you know on her, the very, the most recent uh, question from readers to her was that question. So I think she, she phrased it way better than I did. So I'm (laughs) just going to read, she made a list of some of six signs that a break might be needed are when one, the person is emotionally or physically harmful. And she um, parenthetically um, explain, gives some examples, which is good for those of us who tend to minimize other people's problematic behaviors. Um, And those are rude, snide, argumentative, disdainful, disrespectful, defies your requests, critical, tells you what to do, hits your kids, et cetera. Um, So yes, all of those are, are, they're all bad. Oh, so all bad. Like, stop, stop making excuses for it. All of I it. understand, <laughs> but we got to stop making excuses. Um, number two was you have your own life challenges and the emotionally um, immature person is making your life harder, not easier. Um, three, you are growing through a difficult life transition, such as a new baby divorce, moving, new job, and you need to cocoon for a while. That's that taking a break and then coming back. Um, four, you have a health issue and more stress will make you feel worse because these people are stressful. Uh, Pandemic. Perfect opportunity to get some distance from people. Right. Um, number five, you are trying to understand yourself and you need some private time to get perspective. Um, which is what I did. I, I took a, I, I put a lot of distance. I didn't stop communicating entirely with my family, but I did uh, put a lot of distance while I was doing my most intense um, trauma healing work um, because it doesn't help to have somebody constantly triggering that while you're trying to do the work on it because you're already in a very vulnerable place. And then number six, people you love, such as children, partners, and friends, don't want to be around the emotionally um, immature person, and neither do you. And I think that's important, that and neither do you, because that eliminates the possibility of of that one being able to be twisted by, like, someone who's trying to isolate you instead (laughs) instead of it actually being based on a healthy thing. So... So yeah, the, the change can be temporary or permanent, but that decision is up to you, but assert your boundaries. It's very important. Assert your boundaries. And if they try to get you to negotiate your boundaries, recognize that for what it is. If, if you try to reconnect and they attempt to go back into the old patterns, you may want to eliminate, to limit contact or remove it, depending on how severe and the impact it's having on you. Uh, and Carrie and I give you permission to do that. (laughs) Yes, all the permission in the world to cut those people out. (laughs) Don't forget to like and subscribe to the channel. And if you want to make sure you don't miss any of the uploads, be sure to turn on those notifications so you you will know as soon as those go up. Um, Also, like us on social media at Hypoxia Podcast. Or uh, the easiest way is to go to our website, hypoxia.com. That's H-O-P-O-K-S-I-A.com. And the links to all the socials and all the podcast feeds are right there. And we just want to thank you all for sharing your time with us, hanging out with us. And we hope to um, spend more time with you in the future.